All right. Welcome, everyone, to the Infinite Expansion Podcast brought to you by The Last American Vagabond. I'm going to be your host, Tim. So today, um, I got a special guest on, um, not only a really good journalist, fellow journalist, but someone who I believe has really done a lot of on-the-ground activism. So not just talking about the problems in the world, but really getting out and getting into solutions. And this is Derek Bros. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, um, he is the founder, CEO, and chief editor of the Conscious Resistance Network, uh, journalist for Activist Post, the Anti Media, and Mint Press News, uh, co-founder of Houston Freethinkers. Uh, he's appeared on RT. He's written a book called Finding Truth in the Age of Information. Uh, he's also an anarchist and volunteerless, and will be speaking at the upcoming Anarchopoco event. Uh, and if you haven't checked that out, please do. I went this past year. Uh, it's a great event. Uh, so, Derek, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate your time and uh, the ability to communicate to your audience. Yeah, no, we definitely appreciate you on. Um, and so the reason I wanted to bring Derek on today was, you know, in the alternative media or in this truth movement, whatever you want to call it, we're always talking about what's wrong. And um, don't get me wrong, that's very important. You can't change anything until you know what's wrong. But what I like about what Derek's doing is Derek's actually getting in now into solutions on the ground things and not just talking about problems. And that's really, I think, where the, the movement is going. So uh, to, to discuss this area, I wanted to go into one of the things he's really been a big proponent of, and that's agorism. So uh, to start out with, could you maybe explain to people who, who don't, who kind of new to the subject, kind of what agorism is and and um, some of your personal experience when it comes to this. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So agorism is a, a philosophy that was first created, first introduced, and I guess you could say discovered by a man named Samuel Edward Conklin III, who released the book in the late 70s. I think the first printing was actually 1979, 1980, uh, late 70s, early 80s, New Libertarian Manifesto. And he grew up in the, you know, the 60s era of, the, uh, the new left, lots of protesting the Vietnam War and the Black Power Movement, the Red Power Movement, and all these really radical groups. And there was also a, a radical anarchist movement taking place, what became the modern day libertarian movement that we see in the United States, that voluntarist movement that some of your audience are probably familiar with. Uh, Conkin was among those. You know, he was in school uh, going to these conferences and attending these things. And just over time, he started to develop what he ended up calling agorism. And the word comes from the Greek word for marketplace, which is agora, and it's essentially trying to create a free world where there is no force, no coercion, you know, like many libertarians, volunteers, anarchists might try to be trying to do. But the specific, you know, thing that makes agora different is he included this idea that instead of trying to create the Libertarian Party or the Green Party or the Constitutional Party or something like that, which he referred to as partyarchy trying to use the state to uh, you know, change and create freedom. Instead of going that route, or again, as I said earlier, trying to you know, be violent uh, and you know, try to think that we can attack the state, whether that, that's moral or not, you know, he thought there could be a third way, a different way that could lead us to freedom. And this is what he called agorism. So the idea was that we used a strategy you known as counter-economics. And uh, if you, again, you think about the time period where he was doing this, this is the middle of the 60s, so they had the creation or the, you know, the beginning of what we call counterculture, the hippie culture, sort of anti-war culture. There was the new left. There was a lot of these terms, and he was trying to bridge a divide between the growing, I guess you could say, anarcho-capitalist movement, sort of uh, you know, 
libertarian movement that was really following uh, philosopher Murray Rothbard. He was kind of associated with that, but he was also trying to bridge the gap between them and some of the other anti-war movement, the, again, the, the Black Power movement, some of these more radical elements. So he used some of that language, which is why he said the new libertarian, like the new left, and he talked about the counter-economy, like the counter-culture. Um, but what he means by the counter-economy is literally all the business interaction that is done outside of the control or purview of the state. So he said that people should basically use what are known as black and gray markets, which I can explain more about in a moment. Use black and gray markets as a way to take our power away from the state because you know ultimately if we're trying to create a more free world, a more just world, uh, a more compassionate world, and we don't want to support the systems of control and mechanisms that exist today, then we have to recognize that we need to pull our power away from them. You know, you can't really, uh, you're not really accomplishing much if you're going around telling people how bad the Federal Reserve is, but at the same time, every single day you use the Federal Reserve now. Obviously, that's the monopolized currency that we have in this country, so it's hard to escape from that. But thankfully, as Samuel Conklin predicted 30, 40 years ago, you know, technology has come along and now there's cryptocurrencies, there's digital currencies, there's alternative currencies, there's barter networks, there's tons of different ways for us to do business and things coming that we probably can't even imagine yet that will that are part of this growing peer-to-peer -peer economy, peer-to-peer -peer network that are decentralizing our relationships and moving away from centralized relationships like the government. So essentially, you're trying to create a world free of coercion, you're trying to create these open marketplaces where people can do business without any third-party interference and through that allow them to flourish and to create counter institutions. So we want to replace or create something new in every area. So if you see the food production systems, education, media, government, um, community defense, and you look at these areas and with the food is an easy place to start with. You see the food is being poisoned by companies like Monsanto, Syngenta, the government's got partnerships with these people. Maybe you don't like genetically modified food or you just don't like all the pesticides, whatever it may be, you decide you want to have that power. So what do you do? You can start to create counter institutions by creating or investing in local farmers markets, local community gardens, uh, community farms, backyard gardens, those type of ideas. So while those aren't necessarily in the black and gray market, you're still in the process of creating something new, which is going to lessen your dependence on the system that you are you know, working to free yourselves from. So that's the general idea. And that's why uh, you say that I, I'm, I'm really based in the community is because agorism is a philosophy of action. You know, there's two books written about it. There's different essays that are out there, but for the most part, the reason when you go do a search out there, there's not a whole lot of things out there, is because it's a philosophy of action. There's only so much to say. It's like go out there and build. You know, that's you can get the general idea, and then from there, it's up to us to create whatever the next stage is. You know. Yeah, I mean, those are great points. Uh, I'm. It's like the the movement now needs to evolve um, past the problems into actual action, and it reminds me of an article that I'd written. I don't know, a few months ago, called Starve the Beast, Feed the Light. And it kind of references to something I was watching a talk that you did. I don't know if you came up with this or someone else, but it's competing against the state instead of using the state to change itself. Because the state wants to say the same. This is what establishment means. It wants to preserve its status. Mm -hmm. And 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 it's it's like all the levers of change in it are, are dismantled for a reason. So it's like now we need to compete against it. Um, and it's like one example I always think too is like, don't try to go change McDonald's and force them to uh, change their menu. Just stop eating there. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, what, now next question. Um, so you know you're gonna find a lot of statists who are gonna say, oh well it's just reality. We 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 have the state and we 
we uh, we need to use it. It's just this is the way it is. Why is agorism a stronger tactic than say using the state and democracy to bring about change? Like running for office or something like that. Like running for office, like like trying to change things through the system. Why is agorism a stronger, possibly more effective tactic uh, for change? Well, I definitely, you know, I, I fully believe in uh, the ideas of agorism. I also consider myself, to, you know, to be sort of along with the uh, voluntarist movement, the, the voluntarist idea, which simply says that all interactions, all relationships in uh, society should be free of coercion, should be voluntary. And also another big part of voluntarism and agorism that I really kind of cling to and I think is really important is to recognize that individuals do not change on a mass level. You know, mass conversion is impossible. Although people would like to believe that electing a new president is just going to fix things and everybody's going to get on the same page or that, you know, we can do some big campaign and get everybody to wake up all at one day and everything's going to go perfect. No, it has to be done on the individual level. So uh, with that said, I recognize that the best that I can do is to live a life as close to the principles that I espouse and the things that I believe are going to create a more free world and live that life, like live it truly as an example of somebody who is living free. So rather than going and asking the government for permission to be free or lobbying them to, to affect uh, change or hoping that voting for president, I believe that we can show people, and I have seen this in my own life, that it inspires other people, it leads people to action in their own lives when they're like, wow, this person is like really, you know, even if I, I get this a lot from people and I'm happy for these compliments when someone says, I don't really believe, you know, agree with you on a lot of different things because, you know, I talk about everything from anarchy to conspiracy, so I'm sure to piss off somebody somewhere in between there. <laughs> and, you know, people will be like, I, I definitely don't buy into your whole worldview, but you're a man of action and you, you know, live up to what you say. So uh, to me, that's like, okay, that's all I can really ask is that somebody will uh, take me on my word, you know, and in that, it's a, you have to show people that you can create change. At least that's the path that I'm taking. Now, we can choose to invest energy in uh, local politics if you choose to, if those who still feel like voting provides them something. Because, you know, the other side of the argument is that some people might argue um, philosophically that voting itself is an act of violence or that voting is an act of aggression. You know, I'm, we'll avoid that topic right now, but basically some people take that stance. So on, on moral stance alone, some people say, I'm not going to vote, so I choose to do things other way. I somewhat stand on that, but I also just think it's a matter of being honest with the way you use your time. You know, it's important for us to, as activists, to evaluate ourselves and to see what is providing the best return for, you know, the, the investment that we're giving. So for example, if, uh, you know, I, I do YouTube videos, I do articles, I do all kinds of different content to try to spread awareness uh, and put, put ideas out there. But I have to recognize where the strengths are. People respond to the articles well, right? And sometimes videos will go viral, but I focus on what works best, right? If I'm out there in the community and I'm beating my head over and over voting for somebody, like hoping that they're going to fix my local community and I keep voting for president, you eventually would think we should try something different, right? Um, but for some reason, people don't. They just feel like, okay, well, we just... You know, there's already people talking about, okay, well, we can take the scraps of whatever Bernie built and uh, redirect it, and then by 2020, the Democratic Party is going to look like what we want it to, or, you know, just this reformism that Samuel Conkin really spoke a lot about, you know, from his experience being around the beginning of the creation of the Libertarian Party, watching all these activists, which were essentially anarchists, all of a sudden decide the best way to beat them is to create a new party, and he's just like, what the heck? This is like totally the opposite of what we've all been talking about. So I, you know, one thing I like to try to pose to people is this. If you feel like voting, definitely focus locally, whatever you're doing. Your actions can have so much more effect on your, in your local community 
than you imagine. You know, you can really rattle the cage of the local politicians and the local authorities just by going and being present there, attending the city council meetings and going to town hall meetings, just seeing what they're doing. Because I guarantee you there's corruption going on in your city just as much as there is on a federal level. And I feel like a lot of times we focus on the big picture and we miss a lot of things happening around communities. But if you must vote, especially when it comes to presidents and the larger uh, government institutions, I would also request that at the same time, plant some seeds, start a garden, and take care of that garden. And at the same time, you know, learn about this politician that you think you, you want to support, you want to vote, learn about who's running for those offices. And go ahead and vote and continue to build your garden. And at the end of that process, when you voted, and whether your candidate has won or not, whatever you feel like you've gotten after that, compare that to what you've grown and see which has provided more value for you. And I have found in my eyes that learning skills, building community, growing food, becoming educated, becoming independent, um, and teaching other people about these ideas is so much more valuable than any politician or you know, running for office, sending money to a campaign, and even investing time to learn about these people. Um, I hope that people who choose to vote are educated at the least, but honestly, I just, I just feel so strong that, and I've seen in my life and in others, that we can do, we can really have success um, without having to involve the government, and even if that means changing things in your community. Uh, just one thing I'll say on this as a real-world example, in 2012, the Houston Freethinkers, we became the only city in the United States to kick the TSA off, off the buses. You know, they're obviously everybody knows they're in the trains. They spread to some cities on like train stations, subways, and buses. Well, in 2012, they announced this. They had this big press conference that one of our community members just happened to be going to school and passed by and got some video of it. And it was DHS, it was, you know, the local cops, the local metro police, all these people announcing the beginning of a new program called Bus Safe, which was going to randomly start searching bus travelers, uh, going through their bags, drug sniffing dogs, you know, basically you buy a bus ticket, you no longer have rights, like we can just randomly search you because you're on a bus. And as a person who rides the bus regularly, and as someone who knows that these kind of things affect low-income individuals who need to ride the bus more often than not, um, this is something that we really cared about. So we organized, we went to the next Metro board meeting, we didn't go to city council, we didn't go to, you know, ask to pass legislation to try to stop this or to vote against them. We went directly to the board meeting, and I guarantee you these Metro people have never seen some people show up to their board meeting, because they're, they're not expecting that. You know, we came in there with like our whole crew of people, there was a bunch of local lawyers, and we just turned this board meeting, which is probably extremely boring, usually talking about, you know, whatever their sales are or whatever, and just made them focus on the TSA till they were forced to set a second meeting. Two weeks later, we came back with even more people, and by the end of that one, they canceled the program, kicked the TSA off the bus. It's like, you know, without asking the government to do it, we came there and demanded and told them, the lawyers told them, get ready to face lawsuits because you're violating people's Fourth Amendment right, you know, by doing this, and we're going to be happy to take those lawsuits. And we were there saying, like, you know, basically we're going to make this a living hell for you because we're going to be protesting out there every day and we're going to just keep coming here until you guys drop the issue. And within two weeks, we did it, you know. And that was just such a huge sense of power for our community. Like, holy crap, like, we did this. We got on the local news for it. You know, we, were, we got on, like, Alex Jones' show back in the day and just really got, we're able to show, like, wow, like, our little community here, just, you know, a core group of 10 to 20 people can do something powerful, you know, and that is, that's true power. I, and I want to encourage more people to recognize that. So it doesn't mean that you can't change your communities just because you're not looking to government for that change. It just means you're looking for other methods. And there, there are other methods out there. There will be instances, though, sometimes you might have to take a stance and say, you know what, voting for this ordinance or 
voting against this will help my local community, so I'm going to choose to do that. And that's a personal decision for each of us to make. But generally, I think focusing locally and building those relationships is absolute, uh, you know, most important at this moment. Nice. No, I, I, love, I love that approach because it's like a multifaceted uh, approach. It's not putting all your eggs in one box. And it's also things you can control, like individual action, lifestyle decisions. That's something you can control or in community things, something you can control more. Voting at a federal level or relying on a third party with that has so that's been built up for so long and has so much power. You can't rely on those, but individual actions and community actions, you really can change. And I mean, I think that's, in my opinion, it's more important than voting in the presidential election is changing your city. Uh, so I think, I mean, I'm all on board with that. And I really hope people listening to this really can start something in their own town. Um, so I know that you had started, um, I don't know what to call it a program or an idea. I'll call it more an idea. Uh, these things called freedom cells. So I was hoping you could speak a little bit about freedom cells. And I was also curious of why the number eight is an effective uh, number. Maybe you could touch on that just a tad. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm happy to talk about freedom cells. This is the, I've been talking about it all week. I've been talking about it the past few weeks. And like I was saying to you before the interview, there's just, I, I really think that the time is like, everybody's right for this right now. There's so many, uh, technology has brought about decentralized peer-to-peer -to -peer tools that will allow us to create these. So what are freedom cells? The idea comes from that name. First of all, I got to give credit to a friend of mine. He's an activist from Austin, a few hours away from where I'm at in Texas, named John Bush. He, uh, I first heard the term from him, and I really just kind of ran with it. And now we're kind of partnering up together and a few other activists and really just putting all of our energy towards this. But it essentially comes from the idea of creating small groups of individuals who peer-to-peer -peer groups, decentralized groups, where we can spread knowledge and power among that group. So what I mean to say by that is you have eight people, eight to ten people is the sort of the estimated, the, the range, and the, the number, while we focus on eight, it actually comes from, there's a guy named Bob Podolsky, and I'll send you all these links so you guys can check them out. Uh, Bob Podolsky, he wrote a book called Flourish. Um, right here. He wrote this book, and it's called An Alternative to Government and Other Hierarchies, and Bob Podolsky is like a, a, a clinical psychologist, and he had another partner that they researched this for years, and basically they came to the conclusion that groups of eight are ideal, and in their view, they also said that they think it should be four men and four women, but we're kind of leaving that up to each freedom cell to decide, but that's sort of the basis for it. He did, you know, study and research on groups and group dynamics, and they found that Two little people, you know, you can't really accomplish much, and then once you get past a certain level, it just becomes less and less effective. You know, there's too there's too much uh, di difference of opinion, etc. So eight seems to be this ideal number. So that's kind of what we're aiming for. Um, so you find eight people, or even if you, you know you got to start somewhere. So if you got a couple of friends, start there. You know, and the idea being that this eight group of people, this freedom cell, is sort of your go-to people that you know you can count on. Um, you know, in times of need, and that y'all can educate each other and work towards, you know, using um, using the methods of agorism and counter economics. Y'all can employ those methods and move towards this more free world. And at the same time, we're starting to see more of these freedom cells pop up. I've been, I've been contacted by New Zealand, Argentina, Colorado, Jersey, Detroit, people in Texas. I mean, there's more people who are working on this idea. We just don't even know it. So let me give you some examples of how you can use this eight cell structure, eight individuals. 
So what we're doing in Houston is our eight individuals are working on getting everybody to have three months worth of backup supply of food. You know, and this is, of course, you can think of this as some kind of like shit hits the fan scenario, but also just preparation, you know, for anything. And, you know, weather emergencies can happen, currency collapse, who knows what. It's just generally a good idea to be prepared. And generations before us were always prepared. You know, our generation, I feel like current generations are extremely unprepared uh, for anything, you know, whereas in the past that has been tradition to kind of stock up for the winter, you know, and you, you make preparations for all kinds of things. So getting backup supply of food, getting everybody to have an encrypted form of communication for us to communicate um, our, when we're going to get together next. You know, I think if you have anything truly sensitive uh, to say, then it's best to say it in person. And we're not talking about anything that, you know, uh, planning violence or anything like that. It's just on principle alone, knowing that the NSA, the GCHQ, and all these other agencies of governments of the world are constantly prying and listening to our conversations and trying to, to gather our data to use it to create profiles on who we are as people to study us and to better control us, it's important for us to, even on principle alone, to use encrypted forms of communication. So even if you're doing it knowing, okay, well, this is going to take the NSA about 10 minutes longer than it would take them a regular message, you know. We still have to take steps because we, if you recognize the value of privacy and also the role that privacy has played um, in the fight for freedom throughout history, then you understand that if you do not have privacy, then you are not free. So that's important to us as well. So getting back on supply of food, having encrypted form of communication, um, having an emergency bug out bag, you know, that's one thing that we've been kind of developing as a group, everybody having their own um, preparedness bag. Also, as when it comes to community defense, self-defense, those type of things, it's highly recommended by us to for everyone to have uh, a knowledge and efficiency and use of firearms or other some other form of protection, whatever your freedom self chooses. Um, and then, so those are sort of the preparedness aspects of it, right? Now, here's some other methods. Like we just had a meeting, and one of the things that we decided was in the freedom cell. Uh, between now and the next time we meet in a few weeks. Everybody is going to go learn as much about permaculture as possible. So we took the large topic of permaculture and we divided up specific categories and everybody chose one. So they're going to go learn as much as possible. We're going to, we're, we're all going to watch a, a, the same documentary together to get educated about it. In a couple weeks when we meet, we'll come back and we'll share that knowledge, right? So now instead of one person in the group knowing everything about this topic, the power of the knowledge is now shared. The same idea being that if you're doing CPR or medical advice or how to build a fire or any sort of skill that you want to teach, you never want it to be just one person who knows that skill because if they get sick, they die, they leave the group, whatever, the rest of you all of a sudden are screwed. You know, you don't know, like somebody's, somebody's sick and our only medical guy just left the group, you know, so you want the knowledge and the power to be diffused among, equally among the groups uh, of people. And uh, so that's kind of the basis for the first freedom cell. And then from there, the goal is once you have established that eight group of people, you're teaching each other skills, you're teaching each other um, other areas of knowledge, maybe philosophy, and at the same time, preparedness um, type skills. Each individual could also then turn around and create another freedom cell. So the first group would be what is referred to uh, by John as the inner cadre, and the second freedom cell that you connect to it would be your outer cadre. So then you've got eight groups of eight to ten people, you know, about a hundred people spread around the city area. And then again, as those grow, they start another external group. And before you know it, you've got a thousand plus people spread around an area. Right now we're at the point where we're getting freedom cells being created in different areas around the country. So obviously our networks are kind of limited, but we are starting to see the creation, I think, of this next phase, which will really allow the agorist movement, uh, the counter-economic movement to go into the next phase, because obviously as we're creating these pockets of 
um, you know, conscious communities that free themselves of agoras, many of us are trying to use Bitcoin and other alternative currencies. So soon, all of a sudden, we're going to have this whole network of people who are going to do business and, and exchange ideas, information. Maybe we, you know, whenever you're traveling, you have a network of other people that you can visit, other communities. I mean, there's really just endless possibilities. But we, uh, myself, and some of these other guys I've been working with, do absolutely believe that this tool, this idea, this simple concept of just sort of building our tribe and spreading that around is going to play a vital role in the way we move forward. Because as you were saying earlier, I definitely myself am at the point where I think it's time for activists to move beyond not only pointing out the uh, the darkness and the heavy stuff that's going on in the world, because as you said, you can't fix it if you don't know about it. But once you understand what's going on, you know, you have to get past this sort of philosophizing stage about what could happen or how we might do this and just go ahead and create it and build it. You know what I mean? So I think that's the point where we're at now. It's time to really start using these ideas. And then again, as I said, we have, I can list uh, several websites and apps that are being used by my group and others that are now, that people have reached out to me and said, hey, this might work for the Freedom Cell. You know? So there's just so many possibilities and good things happening right now that I really believe those who are paying attention, who are uh, awake, aware, concerned, and want to do something and want to be involved in solutions, seize the moment. I mean, there's magic happening right now, and it's really up to us to do something with it. Right. I really like how you touch on the action part because, you know, sometimes people become too much idealist. They think they have this idea of this perfect society, but it doesn't always work like that when you get down into the actions. And there are, like you had talked about, sometimes you might have to vote. Sometimes voting at a local level for a certain ordinance might help the movement go farther and you know it, it, it gets the there's not I, I, I kind of losing my appeal to uh, exact idealism like actions you have to you know work and di different things might work at different times and you got to be uh, compromised at some time so uh, I like that uh, just starting to get out it's definitely important to let me just say this it's definitely important to remain principled for sure absolutely like I definitely want to encourage people to I think that's a lot of the problem with what we see in the world and people like Bernie Sanders and other people flip-flopping and whatever politicians do, it's because they don't have principles. They don't have anything that roots them down. You know, I know what I'm trying to create. I know what this community is about that we want to create. So I have my principles, but it's also important to remember not to be dogmatic and just stuck in your own worldview and not to have compassion and empathy for other people and assume that, like, oh, they've got a different worldview or they haven't seen everything that I see now, so I just can't talk to them. I can't deal with them. Let me just treat them like shit, you know. There's a lot of that going on in the sort of activist world, and we really, I mean, you, I know you see it, there's just so much division taking place in the world, and that's what the powers that wish they were would like to do to divide us, and what we're trying to say is, hey, here's a way for us to reconnect to each other and to actually build solid relationships that can help create something that maybe has never been seen before. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's more kind of what, what I was trying to say, to lose sometimes the dogmatic ideology, um, but uh, anyways... I wanted to talk a little bit about structure uh, because sometimes in anarchists, um, you know, you want to like kind of do just be just change your lifestyle, but some but we need to actually seem to come together, uh, but need some structure. Now you had talked about before that, you know, the state, their structure, they have a plan, uh, they're moving in unison together, and and I just wanted you to touch on how important it is for and this freedom cell movement. And kind of vertical integrate, like doing the horizontal integration first, and then kind of moving into more vertical uh, integration. How uh, can you talk a little bit about it, how important it is to have some structure and some vertical integration at a volunteer's level uh, in this kind of change movement? 
Absolutely, yeah, and, and you're right about that. You know, there's it, it's easy to point out the problems. It's not so easy to come up with a solution. And at the same time, um, you know, like you're saying, as an anarchist, it's like I never want to create like have a prescription for how everybody should live, right? But you have general ideas of like, okay, once you sit back and you study history and you study philosophy and you try to research, and, and it's cool to kind of come up with the concept. Of like, I think if everybody did this and if this worked out perfectly, the world would just be great. But it doesn't usually work out that way. So um, you know, it is important to just be uh, to be fluid. I think this is one of the best things as well, especially as an agorist and uh, working in the counter economy, is being able to be um, adaptable and to have a multifaceted set of skills. So in line with that, what I've been really promoting, and I gave a speech about this a couple months back, um, is you know, the, the known as vertical and horizontal agorism. And actually, the first time I heard that phrase, I mean, it was just a couple months ago, but it comes from an essay that was written by uh, this guy named Pear Byland, and he wrote it in 2006. And like when I went, I found it just reading around the internet, looking up stuff about agorism. And I swear nobody paid attention to it because it's been 10 years and I've never, I haven't heard that phrase anywhere else. So I emailed him and was like, hey, I think I want to kind of piggyback on what I think you were hinting at, you know, because he mentioned this idea of uh, trying to give people uh, tools to, to work towards, to move towards this free society. So I, I tend to see it as like if you imagine in this corner right here, we have statism, and this is sort of like we're somewhere up here, there's a little bit of freedom, and the goal is to move up and over, like, you know, just towards freedom, towards agorism. And so there are some steps that you can take, as I mentioned, the black and gray markets. And what I mean by that, that does include doing illegal things according to the state. The black market being activity that the state deems illegal, um, selling drugs or smuggling weapons or doing anything that there's a law that says you can't do. That, you know, if, if there's economic activity, that would be considered the black market. The gray market is more where probably most people are already in without realizing it, and they are more... Uh, sort of unconscious practicing agorists. They're doing it, but they're not really doing it because they're like, yeah, this is helping you know, work against the state. But people who go out and maybe you cut hair and there's no license involved. Maybe you get some kid down the block to mow your lawn and you know, obviously you don't ask him if he's got a license to do that and you're not you know, charging him, you're not paying him $20 and some change to you know, make sure that Uncle Sam gets his money. You're just doing business. So the gray market is literally where two individuals come together and do transactions that are done without taxes, without licenses, with, you know, with, which the state would prefer. So I operate a gardening business. I build gardens for people. I do that without a license. And that's just my way to both have a business in the counter economy to provide a service, but to not give any of that money, any of that power to the state in any sort of justification. Like, you know, we don't go get a, a business license. We just operate in our community. So. Some of the actions that an agorist might take, they might be sort of risky for somebody who's like, hey, you know what, I like these ideas, I wish I could get involved in this, but I've got three kids and family, I can't put myself at risk and start you know, dealing in the black market or whatever to try to take power away from the state. So the, and the more direct agorist methods would be the vertical strategy. Um, and what Pear Bottom talked about in his essay is this horizontal outline of giving people tools who aren't ready to kind of fully go into the, the counter economy but who want to stop supporting the state in general, want to stop supporting systems of control that, and centralization that try to manipulate our lives, they can still take steps in their community to lessen the power that the state has on them. And that's where you get this horizontal strategy. And that is also sort of based on some of the work by uh, activist Carl Hess, who passed away in 2004. So but he's uh, definitely, I recommend looking up Carl Hess, Carl with a K, very well-spoken, uh, well-written guy. 
but he had spent some time in outside of DC in the 70s and 80s in this neighborhood called Adams Morgan. And him and some other activists, they got involved in the local community. And in a matter of years, they just transformed this whole neighborhood because he was focused on that neighborhood secession was his thing, you know, that we should secede by neighborhood, like, you know, just each neighborhood empower itself and take the power back. Um, so they, they did like rooftop gardens, they had solar panels, they had like, you know, aquaponics in the basement. And this is in the 70s, so it was totally, you know, way ahead of its time. There wasn't even, the word permaculture didn't exist. There wasn't really a big sustainable movement yet. He was kind of leading the charge in that area. And he wrote a book called Community Technology that really outlines, here's everything we did, here's what failed, here's what succeeded. Um, and he wrote another book called Neighborhood Power based on those experiences. So those are both really good books for looking into how to organize on a local communal level. And that's where the horizontal strategy comes from, sort of based on his ideas, because they're not necessarily accurate in the sense that, you know, these actions aren't necessarily working in the black and gray markets. And maybe if you're even using the Federal Reserve note or whatever your your state's currency is, but you're still taking actions that empower yourself. So again, getting back to the food thing, by choosing to get to know a local farmer, a local gardener, and going there and giving some of your time, energy, maybe you're volunteering, or even if you're paying them your cash, rather than going to the big box like grocery store that had to get all of their products shipped to you from thousands of miles away, contributing to damage to the environment, uh, you know, and supporting factory farming. And I think a lot of things that most of us wouldn't support anyways, you're taking that power back. So it's about recognizing, you know, the way that you're contributing to the systems that you oppose, not just in the economic area, which is what Agger's and main focus on, but the horizontal strategy is like, what other else, what other areas are they controlling me? I don't like the fact that there's only five corporations feeding me news through all the radio and the TV and the movies that I see. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to invest in and support independent alternative media, or I'm going to create my own independent alternative media. I'm going to become the media. You know, that's just another example of the horizontal strategy where you take back your power in that sense, but definitely focusing on community gardening, uh, building your own gardens, uh, getting yourself off the system in ways that don't necessarily require as much risk as the black and gray market, the more vertical strategy uh, does. And I'm actually in the process of, I'm going to write an essay, I'm getting my that speech uh, vertical and horizontal horizontal transcribed by somebody right now actually and I'm going to put it in text form and kind of update it a little bit and I'll be releasing an essay that will dive deeper into these ideas but I also want to create a diagram that can kind of show people like this like statism down here we're here right and vertical of course and going this way and horizontal and so you kind of move up and over towards freedom and being able to pinpoint on that diagram like build a garden okay you move closer to freedom you know what I mean and using uh use a non-state currency okay you're moving up towards freedom you know just kind of giving people these pinpointed ideas of uh i guess checkpoints that you could kind of mark off like okay well i no longer use a bank i no longer um am using you know i'm limiting my, my use of the federal reserve note i get paid in bitcoin often for my journalism so like when i'm flying to go cover events i pay in bitcoin for the flights i try to use it whenever possible you know bitcoin's not perfect but it's definitely an alternative from the federal reserve note and I do believe that we're going to see more of these peer-to-peer uh, -peer tools pop up as time goes on. I hope that answered the question, man. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I think uh, it definitely did. Um, it's not an easy question to uh, answer. Um, and you know, vertical integration is not an easy one, too. But I like how you kind of talked about, say, for example, Bitcoin. Um, it's kind of like a bigger tool that can be used by many more people. And so it's kind of a vertical in some ways. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's, it's not a, um, easy question, but I, I really like this, you know, again, just this, the lifestyle decisions, it's the, it's, it's, a, it's, it's many things, it's not just one action or this action. 
Um, and so I wanted one last question before uh, uh, we exited here. Um, because I feel like there's a lot of people who want to change things. And people, I really do believe people are really waking up more and more and more each day. I think it's, if we've been in this for a while, I think it becomes more obvious the more people that are starting to want to enact change. And with the anti-establishment, you know, whether, you know, even though they might be fooled by Trump or Sanders or whatever, you could argue those points, uh, people are waking up. And I feel like a lot of people want to make change, but they don't know how. And so they look towards the, they look towards the state because they don't know where else to look. What's the best advice you can give people to want to get out and make real change? That's a great one, man, because you're absolutely right. There are tons of people in this country and in this world who are dissatisfied with the status quo. Uh, there are tons of people who are, you know, they're just kind of forcing themselves to believe that voting is going to still make a difference when they look at the candidates. Um, but they will continue to play that game unless giving another option, you know, and, and really, it's up to each of us to provide those tools. So if you're an individual who's out there and you recognize like, look, I'm gonna vote for Trump or I'm gonna vote for Clinton or I'm gonna vote third party, you're doing whatever you feel is the best action you can take. But ultimately, you know, this isn't gonna bring you happiness. This isn't gonna bring you freedom. This isn't gonna bring you prosperity and create a more free and just compassionate world. So I would advise if you're in that position and if you're feeling of that way to take a deep look inside began the process because this is of utmost importance out of everything I said today is that all the tools that we described, agorism, counter-economics, uh, freedom cells, none of these things matter at all unless we as individuals start doing the important work of healing ourselves. And that's what the conscious resistance is really ultimately about, is saying that each of us have our own doubts, fears, insecurities, and self-limiting uh, ideas and beliefs that hold us back. And it's up to us to be able to conquer, you know, what I could call the internal tyrant, which is really where the biggest battlefield is at in our hearts and minds. You know, we have to win that revolution, that evolution of our own hearts and minds, get to know ourselves, get to heal ourselves. And that's going to be an ongoing lifelong process. But the point is, we start that, we encourage that in other people. And I believe once that process begins, it's inevitable that we realize like, wow, you know what, I don't need another person to rule over me. I don't need a government to constantly tell me what's right and what's wrong. And then from there, it's like, the catalyst begins to looking to solutions that also reflect that, you know, because it's hard to, to have that realization and to be like, okay, well, let me go support a government now, now that I realize I'm a free, sovereign human being, you know, it, it just doesn't make sense. So I, I believe it ultimately starts from there, like the conscious evolution, the conscious, you know, awakening has to be the first key point. So if you're not doing that yet, then please, I, I encourage you. Um, I have, you know, in, in my books, I talk about ideas on that, but there's plenty of people who have great ideas. So whatever it is, whatever works for you, get to know yourself, get to heal those things, build a community of empowered people working on those things. And then from there, really get to know your local community. I mean, I, I feel like I know a lot of my community here in Houston, but there's also so much more work I could do to get to know my immediate neighbors right next to me. So there's always more we can do, but I think it has to start locally, and the most local you can do is inside yourself, and then from there, getting to know those closest to you. Yeah, I'm totally, I totally agree. It's, it's like a, it's a true bottom up revolution and you are the seed and it starts with you. And then like, like you said, it's then starts with community. It doesn't go, Oh, right to national, international. And yeah. it starts to, you know, that's people, it's like they change inside and then they look to the, you know, high up to the national level and no, it starts locally. Um, and I'm, I really like that idea of neighborhood secession. Uh, mm -hmm. Just taking back your neighborhood doesn't, you don't have to, necessarily actually secede although that would be nice yeah. uh, but but really taking the power back and, and you know I was in Germany and there's um uh, there's this place in Berlin called Kreuzberg and like 
they have like totally taken their whole city back. There's no chain restaurants. There's nothing. And when yeah. they try to come in there, they don't outlaw it, but, but no one goes there. And so they can't really succeed in those areas. Um, so anyways, uh, if anyone wants to check out your work, I know I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave tons of links in the show notes for anyone to go check out all the different things you're into, but what's the best place people can uh, reach you uh, if they want to contact you? If you'd like to talk to me, you can email me at Derek, D-E-R-R-I-C-K, at theconsciousresistance.com. I love talking to new people and getting to hear about the ideas you're working on to, to answer questions. You know, everything we talk about today, it's very much still in development in the early stages. You know, I'm not trying to speak as an authority necessarily on any of these ideas because, you know, we're creating them right now. You know, whatever it becomes, it depends on all of us. You know, this is just, we can either seize the potential now or do nothing. But I love talking to people. Uh, you can contact me through the website. Um, I'm also on Facebook, so if you hit the Conscious Resistance Network Facebook page, more than likely I'll get that. And uh, yeah, just check out the website. There's lots of good content from myself and from other people who are just trying to spread these ideas and really be a part of the, the conscious movement. And um, there's also both books that I've written are downloadable for free on the website too. Uh, yeah, we'll definitely leave those in the show notes. And also, I'm going to leave in the show notes a lot of these apps that people can start using yeah. in their local community because I think those are really important to start connecting with the people around you. Um, I feel like we've become so disconnected. We, you know, we live in these big cities, yet we're all disconnected from each other. Yeah. And, and not, you know, and sometimes, you know, I'm guilty of this as I get on online forums and I'm discussing topics, and it's great, don't get me wrong, but it really needs to then turn into meeting people in real life and actually forming relationships in real life. It's a much different process. It's, it's different. And it, but it's also much more effective. So I, I really encourage people to move out of their comfort zones a little and actually get on the ground. Um, so anyways, Derek, I really appreciate your time, really appreciate your knowledge on the subject. And I really hope that people will take this information and like you said, put it into action. You can change things in your own community, in your own life. So I really hope that you empower yourself to do that. And once again, Derek, thank you so much. Thank you, brother. I appreciate your time. You too. All right. All right, if you like this video, please like or subscribe. We're going to have a lot more content coming your way. Uh, please also go to Derek's channel, like, subscribe his, uh, to his channel, and I uh, hope you learned something. Thank you.